Hi, John. How are we doing this week? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm very well. Keeping busy, as usual. But Good. I always say that, I know. But I always seem to be busy. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it's just my life. Yeah, of course. Well, yeah. never mind. Yeah, I know you don't think I'm busy. But, no, you're yeah. never busy. <laughs> but I, I, well, I don't know. There's always something. Yeah, there is, mate. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, that's good. Well, I'm glad you're... Uh, have you started your rehearsals yet? Uh, not yet, no. No. No, because you're, you're away soon, aren't you? Uh, well, not till the, the end of May. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, not yet. But maybe uh, me, me, Dave, and uh, Rich will get together soon and yeah, yeah, have a little go through some stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. But, uh, yeah. Right. Well, on to tonight's guest. Yes. Yeah. Um, have you met our guest before? Yes, I have, but he doesn't remember me. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's story of my life. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. Um, well, well, I've known our guest, or I've known of our guest um, this week. Um, more of a generation uh, playing uh, sort of like a 60s sort of style. and yeah. uh, So we're going back this week, so that'll be good. Yeah. And that'll Absolutely, be interesting. Yeah. So, um, That's where it all kicked off, wasn't it? 50s, a- 60s. Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. the start of rock and roll, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, oh, well, we'll get him on, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Rod Clark. Hi, Rod. Great to meet you, mate. Yes, I have met you a few times. Yeah, but you didn't remember me. Uh, Maybe you'd had a little bit of... You know, no, 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 I wouldn't. I don't have anything. No, no. <laughs> just tea, just tea. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, fantastic! Yeah, but great, great to see you anyway. Yeah, good to see you all. Yeah, so obviously we want to just talk about the, the, your early years and how you got started in the business, and be interesting to hear your stories. Well, I was going to be a harmonica player. Oh, okay. Uh, and I was actually a very good harmonica player, if I say so myself. Uh, Larry Adler and Tommy Riley and people like that, and they were my sort of idols. And then now we're talking pre. Pre fifty five, wow. early 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 fifties, and um, I got quite good at it. And, and I was staying in Cromer for the summer with the lifeboat coxswain because my mum and dad had gone off to Denmark to make a film about sailing boats. They palmed me off with the coxswain of the Cromer lifeboat, who became a friend for the rest of his life, which was great. Mm. Wonderful summer there on the crab boats, hiring mm. out deck chairs, going to the pavilion nearly every night. And one Sunday lunchtime on family favourites. Between Nelly the Elephant and something else, there was <laughs> there, there, there was Rosemary Slim Whitman. And my ears pricked up. What is that sound? I've never heard a sound like it. Never heard a steel guitar before, all that. Mm. And I thought, well, I'm going to be that. That's what I want to do. Wow. And this was prior to rock and roll, so yep. he mm. was my first influence before we heard Elvis or Bill Haley or anybody like that. Yep. And uh, then I had to go back to boarding school, and I heard he was doing a big, long season at the Palladium. And I'd managed to get hold of a guitar by then. My dad bought me a guitar, and I knew two chords. So I wrote to Slim Whitman at the Palladium and said, I know two chords. I'm quite happy to come and play for you at the Palladium for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't reply. Yeah, that's oh, funny, that, isn't it? The funny thing was, in 77, I did the Palladium with him. Wow. Did you really? Jerry West and everybody, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, we had this band, Spinning Wheel, which Jerry West was in after, after the Tumbleweeds. and um, Jerry was with Slim for about 20 years. He went all around the world, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, everywhere with him. Mm. So he said, I've got, Slim's got a tour coming up, 77 it was. He said, so I've got to do that tour. So I went and saw Mervyn Conn, good name for him. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I said, look, you're going to take our steel play. I said, you're going to need a band for Slim. You're going to have to take, my, why not take the band? Yeah. So he said, oh, all right. So we thrashed out a deal and... Uh, that was it, and uh, 
the last gig on the tour, which was thrown in, was the Palladium. And I thought, cool. And I thought, I said to Slim, I said, do you remember I wrote to you in 90... We didn't, of course, but no. But we did two shows that played him, which were, which were wonderful. So how did you feel like that, Rod, when you obviously as a, a Slim Whitman fan and, oh, and writing to the guy? Real fan, yeah. Yeah, and then, then you're, you're in his band. Or, I know. How, I, that I could, must, that's, I, I, it was but, like wonderful. It was like winning the pools. And I thought, this is wonderful. You know, I used to watch him every night on stage and we were backing him. And but what happened? He'd come over. Mervyn had brought him over on various packages. And you'd see a package show would be Nance, someone, Jans, who had Nantucky and Bobby Bear. And right at the very bottom, special appearance, Slim Whitman. And I thought, well, he should be a top of that, you know, because he's... Mm. I mean, Slim Whitman in his heyday was bigger than Nashville ever was. He was the biggest thing ever, wasn't he? Because he was global. Yeah, yeah. And he had the longest running number one in Britain for... Years, yeah, right. twenty years, yeah, and uh, and but Mervyn Conk could find found out that when Slim Whitman was on the bill, it was sold out, right, quickly in advance, you know. Right. So he thought he shrewd guy, Mervyn. So he, then he brought him over on package tours, headlining. Mm. Yeah, you know he had the Johnny Young four back him on one and Tumbleweeds on another, and then he had um then he had us on. Wow. And I was over the moon. I was when we got there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Over the moon. I thought, well, this is my the bloke that got me off the harmonica on a guitar. On to guitars. Yeah, yeah, cool. And I'm backing him every every night. Well, long tour. We did a long tour. Yeah, flew to Ireland and then back and then. Then the last one was the Palladium. We did did them all. It was fabulous. Fantastic. I loved him, and he sent me a Christmas card every year, right up until he died. Did he really? Oh, how nice is that? That is nice. yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So when when that tour finished then, Rod, so were you saying it was that mid-70s? 1977 we toured with him. I'd done millions of stuff before that. Though. Yeah, so, yeah, so, we'll so let's, go, that. let's yeah. go back to, let's go back into... Uh, so back in time. Back in back time, in time yeah. yeah. So before the Slim thing, so we'll go back to, say, 60-something. When did you actually start then being I, I, a pro? pro I turned pro in 63. Okay. And I... Oh, I, year after I was born. Was it? Yeah. I wasn't even born. You look older than that. Really? Thank you very much. (laughs) 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 We've heard about your wit. It's wonderful. Uh, Anyway, I kept answering adverts in the paper, in the Melody Maker. Yeah, yeah. As everybody did. And uh, that said, this band wanted a a bass player. And uh, they'd been on, and I rang them up. They were in Denmark Street. And it was a band called Carter Lewis and the Southerners. Right. And Jimmy Page was the guitar player. Wow. And they were really a, a band that did demos for songwriters. Oh, okay. You know, like we, so anyway, I, and they did have a small hit called Your Mama's Out of Town, which has kind of crept in at 22 somewhere. So they, they rang me up and they said, well, I rang them up and they said, uh, yeah, come up for an audition. I'd never driven in London before and I got, I said, how mm-hmm. do I get to Denmark Street? And someone sort of drew me a rough map and I got there, played a few things, folky sort of things. They're a bit folky. Yeah. And, uh, and they offered me the job. But we didn't do very many gigs. We did do some gigs, but it was mainly doing demo sessions for songwriters in Regent Sound. Okay. And we'd go in for Mitch Murray. We did all the Jerry and the Pacemakers demos. 
Fantastic. I like it and all them. So and can I just interrupt you? Regent Sound, what is that, a studio? Studio, yeah, right, record. Okay, where, what, in central in, London? No, in Denmark Street. Denmark Street. Timpan okay. Alley, yeah. Oh, I've, I've recorded in Timpan Alley. Yeah. Oh, I went downstairs to it. That might have been Southern Music. Right. Yeah, they had yeah, one there. And, yeah. and in late, then after that, Southern Music built their own studio underneath and we did loads of stuff in there. Right. But we were in Regent Sound and I remember one instant we were going in to do the Jeff Stevens, who was another songwriter at Southern. He'd written this song called, what did the Applejacks have? What was their song, the Applejacks? Oh, I can't remember. Oh, I can't. Anyway, we were going in to do that, to do the demo of of that song to be sent to the Applejacks. And uh, they were one-hit wonders. And as we got, we were due to go in there about 8 o'clock, and the Rolling Stones are in there. Cool. Recording their version of Not Fade Away. And they overran and they overran and they overran. And we, they finally came out, and we finally came, finally went in. But all their music, all their words and things were all on the stands in the studio. I thought I'm going to, I should have taken them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. have done. And the yeah. only one I took was the lead vocal sheet music line, which Jagger had obviously used. It's probably so. the best one to take. Well, yeah, to but take, all yeah. the others are written out like Mick, yeah. like Keith's bit, Brian's bit, Bill's yeah. bit, and all that. You know. Oh, I should have, known. and I've seen a film of the studio when they're in there, and all I thought I could have taken them. Yeah, you know, and now I live in the Bahamas quite happily. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. So that was what was the Apple text here? It's annoying me now. Oh well, we'll Google that while or, yeah. or producer will Google they, that. They, they, well, funny enough, they had a they had a girl bass player. Oh, cool! I can remember her name, Megan Davis, and uh, she played the Gibson bass, same one that yeah, I was yeah. all while. Yeah. She did that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what we were in recent sound all the while. Mitch Murray's songs, all his songs, and he wrote hundreds. We did demos for everybody: Barry Mason, all the people, yeah, yeah, all the songwriters. And because Carter Lewis were the band that went in and did. So I played on for sort of fifteen, twenty quid a go, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and was that the standard session rate? Yeah, it? something like that. Demo session, yeah, yeah, thirty quid if it was a, a master. It was if it was used. We did play on a few masters. But the Carter Lewis turned into the Ivy League. Ah. See? Yeah. They turned into the Ivy League with Funny How Love Can Be and all things like that. Yeah, yeah. And then they were the new vaudeville band. Okay. But they had to... So after that came out, what was that? Winchester Cathedral. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to go to the cafe at the bottom of the road and get a load of people to say, right, my bass player says, right, you're now the new vaudeville band. Learn that and go out on the road. And that's what was done in those days. Wow. So, so Carter Lewis never went out as a new vaudeville band. And right. they also were the Flower Pop Men. Yeah, yeah. What are they? Yeah. Um, Applejacks, was it? Tell Me When? Yeah. Well, there Tell you go. Tell Me When You Feel a Little Bit. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And uh, did that. And um, then then that kind of fell apart. They all, well, it didn't really fall apart, but they sold the name of the Ivy League. Yeah. And they had, they had various lineups and things like that and it was the, and I worked with, so funny we were at Hemsby a couple of years ago roller coaster and they were on a band called the Ivy League oh cool and this bullshit bloody bass player he said yeah your face looks familiar who did you used to be with I said the Ivy League <laughs> <laughs> long before you were <laughs> and he said oh what you mean you played on some of their records yeah I did that I said and also I was in the band I was in the band because it changed them to three singers and a backing band. Right. And I was in the backing band. 
Right. Cool. So when those sessions kind of finished, then what happened? Where did I go from there? I went into a residency in South End with a band called the Monotones. That was a good name for them. And uh, that, I did that for a little while. Then, then we transferred to Wimbledon, to Tiffany's in Wimbledon, which was the second Wimbledon, second Tiffany's in the country. There was one in the West End. Mm-hmm. And then they moved this, they opened this one, and we went in there. And uh, I was in there one night, and the manager came in and he said, um, there's a big American car outside, they're asking for you. I said, nice. oh, really? Who are they? He said, oh, I don't know. He said, they look like gangsters. Blimey. And, uh, so I, on the break, I went out, and it was it was the Moody Blues. Ah. And I'd been. Great band. Uh, yeah, they weren't wonderful people, though. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went out and they said, I had been up to, I'd heard that they were looking for a bass player and I drove into the West End. I knew where the Brian Epstein's office was, which is right round the corner from the Palladium. Okay. What, what year was this from? 66. And I couldn't find a parking space. I thought, I can't find anywhere to park. And there was murder around there. Mm. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go home. But a friend of mine, Don Paul, had been in a band called the Viscounts. They had lots of hit. Who put mm. the bomb in the bomb, 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 bomb? All that oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Rocking Little Angel and things like that. They had loads of hits. And um, it, it phoned up Emster, Epstein said, said, tell the Moody Blues the bloke they want is Rod Clark. Okay. Where we find him? He said, well, he's at Tiffany's in Wimbledon. And they'd come down in this Chevrolet and parlour and parked outside. Cool. So <laughs> I went, I went in and... After we finished, I drove to their flat in Putney, which was just up the road, and got the job. But cool. I can't say I overly enjoyed it, to be absolutely oh, okay. honest. They're, I won't mention names, but two were lovely, lovely guys, and right. two weren't. Yeah. Was Denny Lane in there? Yeah, time? he was in it, yeah. He was... Yeah? Yeah, Denny Lane. He's, they thought they were the Beatles, and they were... Cause they, and they weren't. They were, at the time, they were sort of two-hit wonders at the time. Yeah, yeah. And they'd go and get new carpets from Harrods and charge it to NEMS and everything like that. Epstein, wow. do all that. And, and by the time Denny left to form a string band, and I, I, I said, "Well, the Moody Blues without Denny is not worth carrying on," you know. Yeah. Unbeknown to me, the next record was nice in White Sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great so song. You, you weren't in the. I wasn't in that lineup for long. What, a few yeah. months, would you say? Or? I was. Yeah, I was in for most of the summer of '66. We did. Yeah. Uh, there is some footage. There's uh, we did the Deauville White City in Deauville in France. That was good. We did we did festivals like they do now, where you can't see the end of the audience. Mm. With like a pair of Selma speakers on the side of this, and that's all there was. And none yeah, of the sound systems that they got wow. now. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Really. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we did a lot of that, and we did we recorded in did a record in Paris. We had a record in Paris. And yeah, it's quite interesting. Then he said, "I'm off. I'm gonna. I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna form this new band." And it kind of broke up. And then mm-hmm. the next thing, and I said, "Well, without Denny, it's not gonna be the Moody Blues." And I still think that really because he was. Yeah, he's he's exceptional, wasn't he? He was. Because he obviously yeah. went on into Wings later, didn't he? Wings, McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but then he upset Paul, didn't he? Yes, apparently. Yeah. So I know allegedly. That. <laughs> I know that story. And, oh, you uh, do. Yeah. Well, wouldn't it be good to hear that story? Well, I, yeah, I suppose so. Depends yeah. if it's a bit libelous, isn't yeah. it? No, it isn't libelous. No, okay. I was, 
I was, he, he was. He was. I mean, he was on the record, wasn't he? Him, Linda, and Paul. They were. They were wings. Yeah. He was a very silly boy. I don't know whether he had a tax problem or what else, but he'd written. He'd written that song that Colin Blunstone did, "Say You Don't Mind," and I thought Denny Lansbury's first one was much better. But I'm sitting in my flat in Greenwich, and Denny comes on the telly, walking down this thing. He says, and they'd overdubbed because he's got a strong Birmingham accent. They'd overdubbed the voice, which said. I'll tell you the truth about the McCartneys. I thought, what are you doing? You know, you're in the best, top, biggest earning band in the world. Absolutely. And what are you doing? And he he shopped them for a few, where they hid the cannabis, and we all knew that. They'd put it in the baby carriage, but he, and he, uh, <laughs> no, I with the bath water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, he, he shopped them for a few thousand. And, wow. And uh, I thought, Crazy. why would you Mad. do, why would you do that? Mm. Yeah, in, you can't right. get in a bigger band, can you? No, oh. I mean even today, and McCartney's just massive. I mean that's not libelous because it's well known, and it was yeah, yeah, it was yeah, in the yeah. news of the world, and there he was, and then yeah, yeah, and I thought, Denny, what are you up to? Wow, cool, crazy man, you know. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Paul didn't have anything to do with him after that, apparently. Yeah, and apparently Paul bought him out. Of, well, he, he co-wrote Mulligan Tire. Wow, Denny, unbelievable. Did. How many did that sell? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. And he co-wrote all the load of the wing stuff he co-wrote yeah. on stage yeah. with them doing that. Yeah. I thought he was a very silly boy, but there you are. He, and there I saw go. him on a TV program recently about Birmingham bands, and he said, well, he said, I, I didn't want to be second fiddle to anybody, and I thought, yeah. Come and, well, they ring me up, and I'll tell them why he's not in wings anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently someone, someone said that he, he was in New York, and Paul was playing, and he... He rang Paul and said, could he come to the show? And Paul said, yeah, if you buy a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's... Uh, there you go. There you go. Well, that's, the music business. Yeah, it was very, very He shouldn't have done that. That's and of course, he's, what is he doing? I don't know what he's doing, but he's very good, very good singer. Good, yeah, yeah. He could write. I wrote, in fact, they reissued an album called The Magnificent Moody's a couple of years ago. And I had four tracks on it. I'd recorded four tracks with them. They added them on. Yeah. And two I'd written with Denny. And um, so they're on. Ain't got any money for it. I'm still waiting for the check to come, and I'll wait forever for that. And uh, But they reissued it, and my photograph was on it as well as. And, you know, and, uh, mm. and the songs are on there that I did. And some comments, Jill, my friend, she said, oh, blokes come in and said she thought your songs on the Magnificent Moody's were as good as any of them. She said they're really good. Yeah, me and, Denny, me and Denny sort of did a two-part harmony on, on one of them, or two of them actually. But uh, yeah, he was good, but he was, he was important. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, what's obviously interesting in us is the the folklore of the sixties. Obviously, we were too young at the time. Well, he was hardly born, and I was very, very young. I mean, what was it like in the sixties? Yeah, like it would. Yeah, interesting to hear what it was like. I mean, was it like you see on the newsreels, or was it just like? Well, we spent most of our time in the south of France. Yeah. I joined a band then. Well, I had a brief stint with the Rockin' Berries. I did pantomime with the Rockin' Berries uh, that same year. They were looking for someone, and they gave me a job to go go with them for a few months. I really didn't like it. And um, we did pantomime. That was the main thing I did with them. And I had Norman Wisdom coming on every night and pulling really? my trousers oh, down no oh, not, right. not not the real one. Oh right the one the impersonator that they had in the in the band <laughs> oh right he, 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 oh right he'd, he'd come on and he'd pull my trousers down and i had to wear a pair of bloomers with flowers on and i thought 
This is not really rock and roll. <laughs> really, it's a good story, do. though. Oh, it's a good story. Some people pay for that, sort of thing. So, uh, we, yeah, we used to have to do things. Ooh. We'd do uh, a, a Mickey take of everybody. We did one of the Bachelors. Three of us got around one mic, and we had to hold our throats now. I wasn't cheesy for the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Norman came in and ripped my trousers down, which were on Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got our own living somehow. Yeah, that, that was yeah. that was Clive Lee and I and who's the bass player lives in Hemsby, Paul Sego. Oh yeah, Paul Sego, yeah. He rang me a few months ago. He said, Did you did you know Clive Lee? I said, Well of course I did. I was in the rock and berries with him. He said he just recently died. Hmm. Recently uh, died. Well, of course you know that generation is getting older now, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, now yeah, I'm the only one left. <laughs> <laughs> That's worrying, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit when I think that out of the original Moody Blues, um, I replaced Clint Warwick. He went a long while ago. And now Ray Thomas, the flute player, yeah. did that lovely flute solo. On yes, he, he did. Went, and then Graham went a few months back. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say every time I hear that, after the flute solo, then you get a bang. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Graham doing that. Didn't they, didn't they uh, get, uh, what's his name from Jethro? Tell. Play what, flute, Ian on, Anderson. Yeah, I'm sure he guessed it on some Moody Blues songs. Did he? Well, Ray played flute because Ray Ray Thomas was the lead singer right. originally in the band right. in Birmingham, but Denny was the better singer and the frontman, so Denny took over. And Ray said, "Well, what am I going to do other than play tambourine?" <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So they 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 got him on flute. He got quite good on the flute. He was good at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, but he's gone. You know, that's, yeah. That's t- so out of the original Moody Blues. And if you say, uh, so Denny, Mike, Graham, Clint, Ray, and me, six of us, there's only three left. Mm. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, and yeah. Mike Pinder is not very well. He lives in uh, California. Yeah, yeah. He's not too good, apparently. Oh, right. Oh. Well, at least he's in the sunshine. He's in the sunshine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, helps. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what other sessions? Well, after that, I joined a band called the Mickey Finn. And Jimmy Page was in that as well. He'd been in Carter Lewis as a guitar player. Right. And he he was still working with a bloke called Neil Christian, Neil Christian and the Crusaders. Mm-hmm. And um but he 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 started what, what year was this? In oh. the well he was in Carter Lewis in sixty three, sixty four. And he but then he started they started picking him up on sessions, so he was he played on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him and yeah. Jim Sullivan, big Jim big, Sullivan. Big, yeah, and Vic Flick. They Jimmy Page played on everything. And I sat in a cafe in Yarmouth a few years ago and they played this, they had this 60s tape on and I went, Jimmy's on that. Jimmy's on that. And he was on virtually every session. Mm, yeah, yeah. Is you that pre-Yarbird? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Long, yeah. Good one yeah. for that. And he played on things like The Crying Game, Dave Berry. Oh, yeah. Because he had a Diamond pedal. And when we used to do Saturday Club, which was really the only pop radio thing, it was done on a Friday night, went out Saturday morning. We did a few things on that. Yeah. What and was that? Had, what station was that on? BBC, BBC. I don't know, one or two. One of the. Oh, others. right, yeah, because we don't know. We didn't. No, and no. He, sorry, had the, no. he had this Diamond swell pedal. Yeah. And, and it, was, it had a lovely sound, and he used that on the crying game day bed. Yeah, yeah. Wah, 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 wah. He did that, and he played on everything, everything. Hmm. Then joined the Yardbirds, and then Led Zepp. Well, I joined a band called Amigi Finn. He was in that for a little while, but then he. He went into the Yardbirds. Yeah. 
and uh, then transformed that into Lizette. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which were originally they called the New Yardbirds, weren't they? Were they? Yeah, they were. When when Plant joined, they they were they I were think for a short time, very short time. But yeah. it was the New Yard because Plant was under the understand, and that was the New Yardbirds. Yeah, oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, and then obviously that went on. I don't, he played. Jimmy played bass in the Yardbirds. He didn't play guitar. He played right. Was it Beck was playing guitar there? Yeah, Clapton. Beck. Both of them. There was a time when there was two or three really good guitar players in the Yardbirds. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. Oh. So I joined a band called the Mickey Finn. They had a couple of hits. And uh, we went, we spent most of our time, how about this for a life? We'd go to San Tropez for the summer. Cool. Where I worked with Randy Crawford and where I first met and fell in love with Randy Crawford. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, and, uh, then we'd go to the Bahamas for the winter till just after Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Then we come back and go to the ski resorts in France, yeah, for the ski season. And then back to Saint Tropez. Wow, right. wasn't it? Wow, cool. And what, what, were, what were you playing covers? What were you doing? What no, sort of we were sort of a Rolling Stones type band, yeah. sort of R and B. Did things that nobody else was doing, and that we yeah, yeah. Really didn't do. Didn't really do covers. Mm. But when we used to do dead parties, we were managed by two old Etonians. <laughs> And they had access to all these dead parties at the Hilton and the Dorchester and things. Well, like what is a dead party? Yeah. Right? A deb. Deb. De- debutante. Oh, debutante. Oh, debutante. And all these were all format was just the same. They'd have a, a West Indian steel band in the foyer when they came in. Yeah, yeah. Or playing Yellow Bird and things like that, you know. And then they'd have a band like Joe Loss for the main oh, right, forum yeah. event. And then they'd have a band that looked like the Rolling Stones, which we did. And we'd do the, the rock and roll session and R&B and that sort of thing. Ah, yeah. cool. And then we'd have to go down into the kitchen to have a dinner while they didn't allow us to mix up mm. the top with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, 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 that corporate side is a little bit like that now. And, you know, we'd done stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So we did that and then went back back to Saint-Tropez and then back to the Bahamas. So you were only a living from doing that. Cool, then. another half, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So any more? And um, so after the Mickey Finn, what what, what other stuff? Is, uh... Where did I go after that? Um, well, I, I, I was having a passionate affair with Randy Crawford. And, oh, you were? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to take her to England and record her because she, she was 16, but what a voice. The the 16? Voice, How old were you at the time? Um, hmm. I was 25. Wow. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said 16. <laughs> but the best thing about Randy, I, the best memory I have of Randy Crawford, remember the old eight tracks they used to have in cars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I bought one in the Bahamas the first time we were there. And people would send me eight tracks and things like that. And there was, oh God, I wish I'd filmed this, but I, no one did in those days. I had a little mini Cooper S in San Tropez with this eight track in it. And someone had sent me anything they could get hold of, because eight tracks were still quite rare. Hmm. And I got one of an American orchestra. I don't know whether it was Lawrence Welk or one of them playing the hits. All like a bit. Imagine Joe Loss playing. You've lost yeah, that lovely yeah. feeling. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. All strings and things. And I remember I was driving around the mountains in San Tropez, me and Randy, with this eight track on, mm. and me and her singing all these songs. Cool. All these hits of the day, you've lost mm. it. That was one. Yeah, yeah. She'd do one bit, I'd do the other. 
and we just drove around and I thought, God, this is this is going in my book, this story, because it was wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, it was just great. And we, we just sang, sang all these songs, driving around the mountains and stopping for a melon and things like that. And then mm. the whole album, and it was, we did that. And that's one of my fondest memories of her. Anyway, I taught her to swim in a friend's swimming pool. She never did get it together. but we had, and, I, and anyway, when she was really, really famous and came over to... England, she was doing when she had Street Life. Yeah, yeah, oh, Street yeah. Life, yeah, for yeah, the Street Crusaders. Life. Yeah, yeah, and um, they were playing it somewhere. So I sent her a, one of the photographs of her in the swimming pool. I said, "If you know who took this picture, ring this number." It's all I put on the back and sent it. Phone rang. Hi, Randy. I went, "Hello, Veronica." That's her real name. And I went and saw her and. And it was embarrassing. You know how good the Crusaders were? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't hold a candle. Well, I certainly couldn't, but they were. She was on the stage with them, and I walked in and stood in the wings. And they're all playing, and they're all dynamite, aren't they? Sax yeah, yeah. I mean, they were the cream of the cream, weren't they? They yeah, really yeah. were. Rainy Night in Georgia was another one, was That it? was one of hers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. another one of hers. But she was just, they were just halfway through Street Life, running through it for a sound check. And she turned to the left and saw me standing there, and she went, Stop! I went, oh, God, don't stop my mic out. And um, she stopped the band and she walked off and she, she walked, said to them, she said, my husband is here. <laughs> and she walked off and she, and she came and threw her arms around me and started kissing me. And you could see all these mega black players going, yeah. who's this white guy kissing her and all that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, but that was the last time I actually saw her, but she has rung me since. Hmm. And uh, if she comes over again, I'll probably do the same thing. But lovely, but how old is she now? She's... Well, she's late sixties now. Yeah, she's, yeah. But she's, is she still out performing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. She comes. The last time she came up was on a diva thing with John Warwick and Gladys Knight, I think. But she was the best singer out of all of them. When she was sixteen, she was doing that "Stay with Me, Baby" that Lorraine Ellison in this club in Saint Tropez. She was in another club. Yeah, we were yeah. in another club. Yeah, and they finished before us. She'd come over and do a couple of songs with us. You know, wow. And, Cool. When she, I walked over in our break, and she did stay with me, baby. Well, she did it just like Lorraine Ellison, and that's one of the classics, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you can sing that, you really can sing. And she was sixteen. Wow, amazing! amazing eh? Absolutely, you're just just born talent. Yeah, absolute yeah, talent. Fun. You know, I wanted to take her to London with me, and I and I rang her mother, who you never believe where she lived. She lived in a place called Duck Creek Road, Cincinnati, <laughs> Ohio, which I thought was wonderful. Wow. And uh, her mother did like the idea of this white boy. Yeah, well, taking her daughter away, so hmm. we yeah. kind of that kind of fizzled out. But yeah. Mickey Finn, yeah, we were with that for a long while. Yeah. So after the after that, then Rod. So what other sessions have you did you do? I've been on that? loads of sessions. So, I mean, all the we did we did the demo of um, uh, it's not unusual. We did the demo of that. Originally, oh, yeah. the Tom Jones one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, two of the Ivy League. There's one bar of vocal backing on it. Where does it come in? It goes, oh. anyway, and, and that's John and Ken from the Ivy League doing it. Ah, yeah. where were you recording these sessions? Well, the we did the, we all did the demos in Regent Sound in those days Reason until Sound. we moved to Southern Music, built their own studio. Then we did quite a few things down there, but they were they were mainly demo sessions. I mm. wasn't a very good reader, so I didn't get the top sessions, yeah. but right. like Jimmy did, but. We did. We 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 made plenty of money just doing. We'd both do two or three a day. You know, mm. someone would come in. Oh, we did all 
Chris Andrews stuff. Yeah, what yeah. What time did you used to start then on these sessions? Whenever it'd be like, it could be in the morning, it could be three hours in the afternoon. Yeah. Three hours in the end, Chris Andrews. What did he have? He had a hit, didn't he? Yesterday's man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd written lots of other stuff as well, which we did. And uh, Mitch Murray was the main one. He, he, he lives on the, there's a thing in the paper about him recently. I'm always going to write to him. He, he lives on the Isle of Man now. But he used to he used to write all these funny little songs, you know. And he'd come in the studio. He said, "I've I've, I've done this," and he he had a little grundy reel to reel, and the battery was always running flat. Right. And he had a ukulele, which was out of tune. So right. He put this on, you know. He said, and he'd go, "Ding ding ding, I like it, I like it." We'd have to say, he said, Have you got it, boys? No, I haven't actually. And then we'd, have to, then we'd have to record it. I did some sessions, me and Don Paul of the Vikings. We had a couple of recording contracts going at each time. Well, I had three. I was with Ken Lewis from the Ivy League. We covered, we did a cover version of Eden Kane's Boys Cry. That was really good, but it should have been a hit. It was really good. And then me and Don had, on Pi, we had a group called Pennsylvania Sixpence. Right, that, yeah, I don't know. And we were the first people in Britain. He worked for Essex Music, mm. and he used to get songs come over, and he got this song by the Four Preps. And I've been in touch with the Four Preps and had a chat with them on the phone a few times, and they they got hold of... Love of the Common People. Oh, right. And they were the first people to record it. And they sent it to Don in Essex Music. And he said, we should record this. He said, we could do this, you know. So he got hold of Tony McCauley, who did all the foundation stuff. Right. And he said, me and Don would like to, me and Rod would like to do this. Can we do it? Pulled us into Pie in Cumberland Place. And, and we recorded that. And that was a really good version. So we were the first people to ever record that in Britain. Right. Didn't do anything. Mm. And then... I had, we had another contract on Deeram as a West Coast delegation. And we so we had, we had three songs out at the time and none of them were hits. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think one out of three would be... You uh, thought one would, yeah, one, yeah, you thought one, one would have hit, hit, hit the, the jackpot. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, cool. And then uh, after, after the Mickey Finn, I joined a band called Storyteller. That was another ad in the Melody Maker. And they were a folky rock, sort of a West Coast folk rock band, but all original material. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a couple of tracks on the first album. And uh, I took it to Nat Joseph at Transatlantic Records. I said, I've got this really good group. Will you come and hear us? Because he was doing all folk stuff. He had Billy yeah, yeah. Connolly. Oh, right. Who did Billy Connolly used to be with in The Humble Bums? Oh, uh, Jerry Rafferty. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, he had yeah. Billy Connolly and Jerry Rafferty. They were The Humble Bums. Yeah. And a few other things. A lot of lot of folk singers who weren't all that. But some were good. He had The Pentangle. Yeah, yeah. Bert mm-hmm. Yance and John Rentmore. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And we were similar to them, but we, but not similar. Yeah, yeah. And so I said to Nat, can you come? So the girl singer in the band was married to Andy Bowne, who's the keyboard player in Quo. Quo, yeah. Oh, and right, he, yes. He's been there for 40-odd years. Yeah, yes, he has, yeah. And uh, so they said, so we ran we through a few songs at his house, or his wife's house, mother's house, and Nat said, yeah, I like him. I'll sign. So he signed us up and we did this album. He, Andy Bound and Peter Frampton, who were in a band together. Called Pete Frampton, Frampton, yeah. Which didn't do anything. They uh, 
They produced it, but I played a bit of it the other day. It was awful. It was wasn't the sound wasn't good at all. Mm. I don't think they really knew what they were doing production wise, but but anyway, that that was that was all right. P. Frampton played guitar on a few tracks. Andy played keyboard, and the lineup was like two acoustic guitars, one very good finger player, and uh, I played sort of semi acoustic bass. Girl singer, boy singer. Yeah. And uh, I got fed up with that. So uh, after the first album, they weren't doing anything. And uh, did a few yeah. universities. And So uh, actually, we did, the, we did the festival hall. That was quite good. We did the festival on, supporting on the Ralph McTell. South Bank. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were supporting Ralph McTell on that. And, oh, yeah. Uh, Streets of. Yeah. Yeah, which I hate. <laughs> Do you know, every time we go to... Fo- I, I've been in folk clubs. When I, I played double bass for the Settlers for a little while. Yeah. And I didn't like them. And uh, you go in these folk clubs and they'd be fighting to see who was doing Streets of London. Really? A bit like in the old days of of theatres when they'd be fighting who was going to do Blue Suede Shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then the first yeah. person on who was the worst, he'd do it. Then that messed everybody else up. Yeah, yeah. Said, yeah. They'd be yeah. have fights over it. Oh, yeah, if you ever asked right. Jim Brown, they'd be fighting over who's going to do but You can't do that, I'm doing that, and I'm top of the bill, you know. Oh, right. Oh, they, they will, yeah. Uh, Rod, is it? I believe you worked with Gene Vincent, didn't you? Yeah. yeah I thought you. I thought. <laughs> yeah, and you got. Well, what could, what we got, could you we got to go back a bit further now. Oh right. Well, well, well no. When when Carter Lewis had their only hit, Carter Lewis and the Sun, nineteen sixty three. It was called "Your Mama's Out of Town," which was a Mitch Murray song, right? That we'd done for we'd done for Jerry, Jerry and the Pacemakers. He right. didn't like it and didn't want to do it. Okay. So we doctored it a bit, and we got Jim Sullivan and Vic Flick playing electric banjos on it and mastered it up a bit more, and, and that we released it on Oriole. Right. Everybody was on Oriole. Well, you know, on Oriole in those days, the original Tamla Motown were released on Oriole. Really? really? The first half a dozen releases on Tamla came out on Oriole over here. Did he really? Yeah, I didn't know that till quite recently. My old hmm. Andy Bowman, my old piano player, said, you did know that, didn't you? I said, no, I didn't. So I said, we, he said, well, we were on Oral. He said, but all the Tamla stuff, early yeah, stuff, yeah. was on it, you know. Wow. Yeah. Love yeah. that old Motown stuff. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, anyway, they, they hyped us into the charts. We got into about 22. And uh, they hyped us in, and then uh, they said, you've got to go on tour now to promote it. So we went on tour with Gene Vincent. Dwayne Eddy, the Shirelles, mm. Gary U.S. Bonds, and the, the the first act on was Mickey Most. Oh, right. Yeah. Who went on to be producer. Who went on to be the Mickey Most. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was the last of the big package tours where yeah. where people went on and, <coughs> and lots of people were on. <clears throat> and, uh, oh, Gene Vincent was <clears throat> pulled a gun on someone. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he did. Wow. And um, he said uh, he had this this wife he had with him at the time was Margie, and nobody would talk to her because he'd get violent. And uh, he, he wow, <laughs> wow. He said, "Jeez." She sat on the back Different of the time. She sat on the back of the coach. And no one would yeah. go and talk to her. And uh, someone, when somebody did, he went, "You're with Margie. You yeah, know." He would be talk, talking to the girl. That's all anybody was doing, you know. Wow. And um, that's what he and think, he was mad, mm. mad beyond belief. 
So what was it like on these package tours then? I mean, how long did you get to play for and what was what was the setup? We got about 20 minutes, yeah. Did they have, like, obviously didn't have PAs like we have now? No. Lighting rigs and all that kind of thing. No, you what didn't have anything. Have? No, you yeah. had to use the theatres. Yeah. PA system, which was horrible. So was it just a vocal PA more than anything? Yeah, you'd break, take your own amps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who else was on that tour? Bank on the Flintstones. There's a bloke called Rupert... And he was very friendly with Jim Marshall, and he brought a little Jim Marshall combo, no bigger than that studio yeah, sitting on. Yeah, yeah. So we used that on the tour. That was quite nice. Who else was on? Joey Page, book called Joey Page was on. He'd been the bass player with the Everly Brothers, and he came on as a soloist on this tour. Mickey Most, who used to lie on his back and roll around the stage playing this beautiful maple neck Fender Strat, which he claimed had been made in the same batch as Buddy Holly's. Well, and it was yeah. just gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. And it, it, it just thrashed about and rolled on his back. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but how did they mix the band in those days? They I mean, didn't. So, so you just basically, it was the levels you had on stage. Yeah, was that was part it. of the mix. That was it. Yeah. Didn't yeah. mix anything. No, no. probably there weren't a the front of the house, was there? No. Uh, no, you, the, the bloke, the jobs were thin, they say, how many mics do you want? You've got two. And they set two up, and you just sang through this dreadful PA system. Wow. I didn't get a really good system until we went with Slim, and then they had Eric Snowball from Maidstone, who was a steel player. You know Eric Snowball. Yeah, I know Eric, yeah. And he had, a sound, Eric. He had a sound system, and uh, they put that in, like, banks of speakers up either side, which was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but that up until then, it was... Whatever there was. Yeah. yeah. So when did they start coming in, the, the PAs and front of house mixing? Well, that was, I think they did it a bit, probably a few years before, in the mid-late 60s. Right. They probably started getting better systems in, yeah. bringing their own in. Yeah. Higher companies would come out and do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we had, the one we had was really good, the one from Maidstone when, on the Slim Tour. But other than that, you took your own. Right. Cool. That was how it was. Wow. So, Rod, we've kind of got to the 70s now, <laughs> early 70s. So tell us a bit about what you, you were doing then. You mentioned you're still going out to the Bahamas. And, you know, still going out to the Bahamas. Came back from the Bahamas, and uh, I, I saw in the Radio Times that they were doing a television show from the National Room in London, which was the country venue, the only one really at the time. And there was going to be George IV. Oh, we backed him... Full Slim, we did the '72 tour with George the Fourth. He was lovely, mm-hmm. and uh, and then '77 with Slim. So uh, we, I thought I'd go down there, and Slim was on, and Skeeter Davis. But I love Skeeter Davis. I mean, her double tracking. You know, mm. you listen to an intro of I've Forgotten More and something like that, and as it comes in, and it's just tremendous. Mm. Um, I loved love Skeeter. And um, I did sing with her at one of the Wembley festivals. We went to rehearse because her band hadn't come. She came in our room, <laughs> in the big room, and we worked out what she was going to do. And I sang with her on a couple of tracks in the room. And then her band turned up, which peed me off a little bit because we didn't get to go on with her. Mm. I'd have loved to have gone. So I, I loved her. She's probably my favourite female country singer. I just think she's tremendous. Mm. And when the, there were two of them, weren't there? They had a big car accident and the other one got killed. The skater carried on and double tracked all the, all right, all, okay. the other girl's vocal, and yeah, she yeah. did it so well, mm. really, really good. Seventies, mm. wasn't a lover of the seventies. Do you know who our biggest band was in England in the seventies? 
basically rollers. Oh, really? <laughs> well, sha-la-la-la. And they couldn't sing and they couldn't play, could they? Hmm. And now they're off on the dead. Well, there's a lot of big stars early 70s, like Mark Boland. And yeah, I knew him as well. He was a silly that. little sod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come in the gear car. Well, and the only people who get in there are <coughs> music publishers, singers, songwriters, musicians and everything like that. And we used to have lunch every day and David and Bowie was in there. But he oh, was, wow. He was David Jones in. Oh, yeah, he yeah. He was just doing a deal with Decker. Was that a place you went to be seen then? Or oh, get, yeah, you went work? to pick up work and everything like yeah, that, pick up yeah. a session maybe or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and to have lunch. Hmm. Right. So we were in there one day and this singer who worked, I can't forget his name, he was there, Bowie, this gorgeous girl and me were sitting at this table having lunch. And this girl was absolutely gorgeous. She had lovely hair, gorgeous heart-shaped face. And I got to him and said, what's your name? She said, Mandy. I said, uh, David's trying to get me a recording contract. I said, oh, that's nice. I play bass, you know. <laughs> 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 and, and then a few days later, I said, Mandy, what are you going to, are you going to record under Mandy? going to have a, or a full name? She said, my full name. She said, Mandy Rice Davis. Right. Now, you've seen her on all of Christine Keeler pics with the blonde and the bottle of champagne. Yeah. Looking at a real... Top, she was dropped it gorgeous. She mm. was lovely dressed, lovely face, natural hair, and she. I have to say, she's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in the person. Mm. Never mind sat to and have lunch with day in day out and things like that. Mm. And she was just so love, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Just one of the loveliest I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were roughing it at that time then. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing was. David Bowie had a band and they had an old ambulance. And unwritten on the side was, was just something you never do because you get your stuff and it was called Davy Jones and the Lower Third. That was the name of the band. Hmm. They all lived in the ambulance, the three blokes in the band. And he, him and Mandy started off somewhere. So. Oh, right. <laughs> Probably to her Mayfair flat. <laughs> yeah. Well, they all lived in the van. And they'd have to get out early and start feeding the meter. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, two or three bands did that. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a country singer going around called Roger someone. Do you know a country singer, English country singer called Roger? Roger Humphreys? Yeah. He did yeah. the same. He did the same. He was in Denmark yeah. Street in a van, and his band were called the Scapegoats. That's right. Weren't it? Yep. Well, they great, all lived in Great the songwriter. Yeah, he is. Roger is. And he, 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 they all lived in the van in as well. Wow. Yeah. I had a flat to go to. I couldn't have done all that. But yeah, they all did. Yeah, hard work living in a van. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, and you've got to run out and go down Denmark Street, right down to Tottenham Court Railway Station, underground station, to find a toilet. Yeah, yeah. Until the Geoconda opened, which they didn't open until about 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Whereabouts was the Geoconda? Where was it? Well, you got Regent Sand, one end of Denmark Street, which isn't very long, is it, Denmark no. Street? 100 no. yards, if that. Yeah. And you got all the various publishers, Southern Music, and that was right on the other end, the Charing Cross end. Oh, okay. Wow. Cool. Everybody went there. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. You'd see everybody. and everybody. All that, that Sawyer era then, that 70s. Oh, yeah, you yeah, yeah. there with the Mersey Beasts, the Baron Knights, everybody. And all, yeah, and all the young bands of the time, like the the Sweet and... No, they weren't. They, I didn't see them in there. No? No. 
Um, they were a little bit later, weren't they? The Sweet. Well, they had just singles in the early seventies. Yeah, they yeah did, I'm talking did. about the sort of mid mid late sixties. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I thought we were on the seven. Yeah, I thought we were on the seven. Yeah, yeah. Bowling used to go in there. They used yeah. to call it. They used to call him Trex because he was putting this band together, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, two of them. Yeah, and they called him Trex. Right. Yeah, which was a cooking, cooking fat. Cooking fat. <laughs> <laughs> he was a bolshy little sod, though. He'd been, he'd been a model for a tailors, and I think it was John Collier, and all the tailors around London had a life-size picture of him. Right. Wearing their suits and things like that. And, yeah, uh, he was all right, wasn't he? Uh, but, well, he uh, he had something going on. That's for yeah, sure. Great uh, songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Nicked, I mean, that, when Tyrannosaurus Rex, he, he used to sit cross-legged, did he? Him and the acoustic. It was like a duo, weren't they? They were. It was Steve Peregrine Took, ah. who played tablas and bongos and things like that. And then he fell out with him. And then he had this other bloke yes. in who was funny enough called Mickey Finn. Yeah, yeah. Why does your watch keep making that awful noise? <laughs> to be honest with you, that's a new watch. I, 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 I thought I'd stopped it. Are you supposed to have a suppository now? Or <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't know how to stop that. <laughs> I'll have to edit that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So i have gone down the Nashville room, hadn't I? Yeah. I'd come back from the Bahamas and uh, saw this thing at the Nashville room with Slim. I thought, oh, I've got to see this. So I went... Actually, no, I didn't go down. I, I watched it on telly. It was on television. And that's the first time I'd seen Slim play for years. Well, since 1955, when he did the London played him without me. And uh, so I went. Then the next night, I thought, I'll check this place out, Nashville Room, because I, I got fed up with what music punk was just starting to come in. Right. And no yeah, way yeah. did I want to play any of that, and uh, or be in anything to do with it. I thought, well, I'm going to have to go back to my first love prior to rock and roll, which was country. Mm. You know, listening to Hank Snow and people like that. So uh, I went down the Nashville room and the tumbleweeds were on. Steve Simpson, who plays with me at the Seagull now, even when they mm. come, and people, and I didn't let and Jerry West was a steel player. And I, so afterwards I went backstage, so I said to Jerry, cool, I liked your steel player. And I said, did you see that bloke with Slim Whitman last night? He was brilliant. He had, that, he had Slim sound after a tea, and Jerry said, it was me. And then, <laughs> then, then they wanted a bass player, so I joined the Tumbleweeds. And then we were playing somewhere. I didn't like the tumble. The, the line-up had changed. I replaced Dave Peacock in the Tumbleweeds. He was the bass player before me. Yeah, yeah. And then various people left, and it wasn't a good line-up. They, they had people I didn't like in it. And uh, we were working in Gray's Inn with Julie Byrne. They're all gone, aren't they? Mickey Byrne and mm -hmm. you. Yeah, Mickey's gone now, and he he came and stayed at mine a few years ago when he nice went, guy. Yeah, he was, and um, and Country Fever were on, and John had had John Derrick, the lead singer. Yeah. He'd had this lineup of young boys from Cornwall. He wanted to go back, and he he said to me, "Can I have your number?" I said, "Yeah, why?" He said, oh, "I don't like," and he rang me the next. He said, "I." Don't, Hello, party said, I'd like you to join my country fevers, if you would. And I went, oh, okay. Jethro. Yeah. <laughs> I said, when do I start? He said, well, can you start next week? We're playing in Emerald Hempstead. And I said, oh, all right. So then I joined country fever. I was there for right. two or three years. And what year, what, what time, what year was that? That was 72 then? till about 75. Right, okay. And so, uh, we did the George Hamilton tour. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was with country fever. And then when we did 
Slim. It was with Spinning Wheel, which was yeah, yeah. my band that Jerry was in. But we backed some good people in uh, in Country Fever. We backed, we did the George tour. We backed Marvin Rainwater a few times. Have you backed Marvin? Uh, I don't think so. No. But who was the guitarist in Country Fever then? I haven't got to say his name ever. Go on. Adrian Legg. And? Graham Walker. And? Roger Dean. Yeah, and? Is this going somewhere? <laughs> Albert Lee. Oh, Albert, yeah. Well, yeah. They, when they, well, Country Fever was originally formed with Albert, yeah. Pete Oakman, John Derrick, and a drummer called Jed, who's now unfortunately gone. And they were they were put together to be Clodagh Rogers' backing band. You didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that. No. no. And then they all drifted away, and Albert put his hands and feet together, and... And uh, Pete Elman went to live in Austin and do things like that. And Claude, I don't know what Claude is doing, if anything, but John's dead now, unfortunately. And then we all came. Well, Adrian Legg was your guitar player when I was there. And uh, that's a strange story, which could be libelous, so I'm not going to mention any more about that. Excellent. And um, then we had to, he had to go, and we got Graham Walker. Mm. It was fabulous, and he does the Seagull Theatres with me, so I had yeah, yeah. Graham on one side and Steve on the other, and Tim at the back. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, and Graham, Graham was just tremendous. I mean, he's, he started the B-Bend. Albert had a B-Bend. Do you know what a B-Bender is? Yes, I do, yeah. Well, Albert had one, and Albert, well, we were doing, there was a Fuller's circuit in London, these Fuller's pubs. Right, you could do yeah. a week there. Okay. A one, one a night, and we were down the one at the Roebuck at Lewisham, and this little face came down the stairs, and it was Albert, and he said, John, can I sit in? Albert, you don't have just get down here, get your amp in. And, and so he played with us, and he had this B-bender. What a player he is. And Graham took a shine mm. to that, and he said, can I have a look at that? So he said, Albert took the back off, and Graham somehow managed to photograph the innards of it. Yeah. You know, they were designed by two of the birds, weren't they? I'm not sure. Yeah, they were designed by Clarence White, yeah. the Bird's guitar player who got killed, and Chris Hillman, right, the bass player. They designed the B-Bender, and uh, so then Graham went and he had an uncle who worked in a machine shop, and they put it together. So he's got oh. half a dozen telecasters with B-Benders with on it. With B-Benders on it, yeah. 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 He's great you've got to be able to play, really, to oh yeah to use one. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great, isn't he? Wow. Well, he's now a... Um, uh, what, what, what is he? He's been playing for all. What is that guitar company? Who are we talking about? Uh, Albert Lee, music yeah. man. Oh, Thank music man. Yeah, 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 yeah music man. He's got his own signature model, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's I went, fantastic. This friend of mine who's in Galston, he said, Do you want to go and see your old mate in Berry St. Edmunds? I said, Well, but he said, Yeah, come on. He said, uh, I'll buy the tickets, you pay for the petrol. So off we went to see him, and, and he was there. And do you know what? I was starting, I went back to the I was doing the jams at the Sailor's Home after that, where they've got 85 pedals on stage. One point, oh, right, yeah. You know, and Albert, he had his amp, his Fender basement amp. He had a little echo unit under it, which he only altered once in the whole of the two sessions. The lead came out of that and went into this guitar on a stand, not one pedal. Mm. I said, I've just been to see Albert. Not one pedal mm. on the stage. Lead into that. Mm. I said, no, that's what you call playing. And they've all got these things that make noises like seagulls, haven't they? And <laughs> kettles that whistle yeah, and yeah. things like that. And, yeah. and, and Albert had nothing. 
Mm. That's all he had. Yeah. And he just, there's a little, Graham said, that's a little echo unit. He's got the cabinet, this little echo unit and the amp on top. And he just altered it once. Yeah. For something. Fabulous players. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. So, anyway. Back I, Steve Simpson and Graham Walker are also both of those guys. Yeah. They're fabulous players as well. Aren't yeah, they? wonderful. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. You work with them, haven't you? With them. Have, done the yeah, yeah. They voices. are great players. Yeah, great. Yeah, Steve says out this world. Well, they both. And yet, having them on stage with you, they're such different players. Because Graham, Graham is kind of a claw hammer player like Alba, you know, and sort of a B bender. And and Steve is like on the blues end of it, you know. He does thumb pick and that, but he, uh, but they're so different guitar players. But they're so sympathetic to each other when yeah. they play. Mm. Mm. Absolutely wonderful. So where were we? What was I talking? So about? yeah, now we're up to sort of like the mid to late seventies. Yeah. No, yeah. no, mid seventies, country fever, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, but we back Marvin. We back Wanda Jackson. We back loads of people. All the. Lou Rogers, who was Claude Rogers' father, used to bring these people over from the States. Right. And he'd, let, he'd send us... Hank Lachlan was the first one I backed with. Mm -hmm. And the first tour was in Northern Ireland in 1972. We got shot at. We had the <laughs> most terrible, terrible time. Wow. I was absolutely terrified. We got to one bit and got hauled out of the van, and I'm leaning against this fence and cows in the field, and I said to myself, I think this is the last thing I'm ever going to see. and uh, But it wasn't because they were UDA, which was right. rich, so that we were all right. Mm. But it was absolutely frightening. Mm. Wow. Absolutely frightening. 72 in Northern Ireland, it was yeah. awful. I have to say, but we came out of it all right. Hank Lachlan. Yeah. We got stopped one night in the middle of the night, and Hank Lachlan said to this, this crowd of blokes who had pickaxe handles and guns, he said, I came here in peace. <laughs> I don't want to go home in pieces. <laughs> wow. And, and, we got, and, and I was, anyway, got out of that. Who did we back after that? Carl Ballou, the man who wrote Crystal Chandeliers. We had oh, him. right, yeah. Uh, lots, lots of girl singers who weren't particularly well known. They were support acts on various shows. We brought them over. Uh, but one of the funniest ones was um, Rose Maddox. Rose Maddox. Rose yeah, Maddox. Yeah, yeah. She was a case. She was nuts. <laughs> and uh, I got a little tiny picture of me on. She kept hitting me on the stage. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. No. She's getting. She just walked up to me and thumped me on the arm. Were you in tune then? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't any tuners out in those days. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she yeah, just kept thumping name. me on. I don't know, I didn't know why. But I have got this picture, which I can't find, but. And a bruised arm, obviously. What? A bruised arm. Bruised arm, yeah, and a little photograph. But she was she was good though, but she wouldn't have she she wouldn't count anything in, wouldn't let you count her in. She'd say, I'll tap my foot and that's a tempo. So right. if she did jambalaya, she'd go ding 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 ding. Goodbye, John, this me in. She, the count would be her boot on the stage. Wow. For every number. Oh wow. Well, well, could you what could the drummer see that then? Oh. Well, I didn't matter. <laughs> Country band, you can. yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, nice, and she, but she was interesting. Yeah. I'm glad I backed her because they were good, weren't they? The her band, what were they? Oh, she was the Mathematics Mad Brothers, and, yeah, and the, they had a guitarist, um, Johnny. Uh, I can't remember his Johnny Maddox. <laughs> he, he played. Um, he actually was um, Curly Chalker's side band in oh, Las really? Vegas, Las Vegas. And a fabulous guitarist, which I did actually have a chance to play 
with him, which was awesome. There you go. Well, there you go. Brilliant. Well, Lou told us that because the Maddox Rose, it was the Maddox brothers and Rose or Rose and the and but they used to wear really fabulous nudie suits, all red with white crests on them, and all typical. Yeah, yeah. Sixties and seventies. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were fifties, weren't they? But I said, "What happened to the rest of the Maddox brothers?" And so Lou said, "Well, he said, who was the bass player, and which Maddox brother was the bass player? Do you remember?" I can't remember now. Anyway, I, he they he came over on a solo tour, playing double bass and singing tumbleweeds back to him and things like that. And they went down to Italy to do a gig, and he and they he he didn't cut a double bass with him, so they'd hire one for him, you know. Okay. And um, Fred Maddox, that was the bass player, Freddie Maddox. And he, he is the highlight of his act was he'd he'd go every day in the light, go about the people keep kicking my dog about, and he'd kick the back of the bass and it'd fly up in the air. Every day in the light, go out, oh, keep kicking my band, he'd kick it again and up it go in the air. And he went right through the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's stumbling around on stage wow. with this very expensive double bass that they got from the. They got it from the Italian Philharmonic Orchestra or something. <laughs> and he's got his foot stuck in it, Jerry said. I asked Jerry about it. He said, yeah, his foot got stuck in it. And he's waddling about the stage with his foot stuck in the back Good of the Good Lord. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that guitarist with Johnny Davis. Absolutely good. Fabulous guitarist. Yeah. Right, what, so what about Thumbs Carlisle? Did you ever see him? No. He came over with Roger Miller. And we all said, what is he doing? And he's got, he, he played a Strat, didn't he, on his lap. And and he just picked it and he didn't he didn't use a bottleneck or anything. And he just thumbs Carlisle and he just played incredible. You got some footage of him, you can get it. I'm sure I've got some no, of you must have. Yeah, yeah, he came over with Roger Miller when they first came over in the early season. So yeah, so seventy I left Comfy Fear, went back to do Wembley. We went to Wembley when we were supposed to back skate, but we didn't. We backed a bloke called Vernon Oxford, uh George uh, one or two others. Wanda Jackson. I was glad I backed Wanda Jackson because she was. That's George Hamilton fourth. the fourth. Did yeah. you do his son as well, George Hamilton the fifth? No, no, right. He's all right, isn't he? He's brilliant. Yeah, he's. Good. Yeah, they say he's good. Yeah, I did both of them one show, and they're well, they're awesome, awesome. Yeah, I was so surprised that George died because I mean, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he prayed every day, and was really religious. Very, very nice gentleman, a real gentleman. Oh, wonderful! I mean, we all love George. Yeah, I got him drunk, you know. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> the last day of the tour, we were, I'll never forget, we we're in Doncaster, and um, he, we all got on the coach. The last day of the tour, and he gave, he gave, he gave everybody a gold lighter with our initials on it, and that says, "Gratefully, George the Fourth. I'm the only one got mine. The only one still got mine. Wow. And um, and he gave us twenty five quid, as well as you think that in nineteen seventy two is a lot of money, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, and, um, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, he called us up to the hotel where he was staying the day after the end of the tour to give us this and have dinner. And he said to me, Rodney, he says, um, "Is Harvey's Bristol Cream alcoholic?" I went, "Oh no, George." I said, "That's just like <laughs> lemonade. <laughs> you can drink as much of that as you want." And before we got to London, he's got his jacket on with the V and the one on it, and he's got his Mac on for some reason. He's lying in the aisle of the of the coach, 
absolutely out of it. <laughs> you sure that's not alcohol? Right? <laughs> Harvey's Bristol Cream, he's absolutely right. Really was, yeah. Wow, that's a name, Harvey's Bristol Cream. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Gee. Yeah. So, um, Rod, let's just get up to the 80s now. What were you doing then? Um, Why did you come back up this area then? And, or, or what happened? 80s, yeah. I, I bought a boat. Okay. I bought a boat in Nolton Broad, and I, I was fed up with London by then. It was all... Music I didn't like. I was still playing country. I had my own country band called Spinning Wheel. Okay. Well, I had that from with uh, with Jerry Jerry West, and I had that from oh probably seventy five, right up until the early eighties. Okay. And I came up and I wanted to come up and do summer season. I got a summer season at that place where we all played when our drummer played for your drummer because he was ill. Where was the that? Kessingland. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Glenn Satin for your drummer who yeah. collapsed or something. Where, where was this? The Deans at Kessingland. The Deans at Kessingland. Oh, the holiday camp. Yeah, the yeah. holiday camp, yeah. Right, okay. We were on and they were on. and uh, Anyway, that yeah. Was, and uh, so I came up and did that. And then I'd go back to London and do gigs with Steve at the week uh, during the week, weekends, and then come up mm. and go on the boat. And then in the end, I thought, well, I'll move up Lock, Stock and Barrel. That's when I put roller coaster together with ah, Andy Field, right? Andy Field and Glenn Taylor, and then Latley, Latley Tim. Yeah, Tim Merritt. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Andy was like just tremendous. He, uh, I'd seen him in the early sixties. He was in a band called Milton and the Continentals. Okay. And they, they were Milton was a, a black singer off the basses. Right. Off the basses. Yeah, yeah. The Continentals were a white band from Norwich. Yeah. And they got together. Well, they were just. They were like there, and the rest of the bands were down. There. Oh, right, yeah, just, yeah. The Continentals were just out of this world. Mm. And then Andy retired. He got fed up with it. He did various places, and someone said to me, the bloke you want is Andy Field, if you want to play rock and roll on a whatever piano. And I rang him up, and he said, yeah. He came to London and did a couple of gigs with us. Yeah. And then when he got back, he said, should we do a summer season? So we did a summer season. Yeah, yeah. And then we did 30 summer seasons. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Until yeah. it got, yeah. Just right. a, we were working seven nights a week. Yeah. In the summer. Yeah. Yeah. So when what, what when did uh who was the original drummer then? You said Tim The bloke who oh, yeah, yeah, I was just that. trying to think I couldn't yeah. There's a bloke called Glenn Taylor. He's still yeah. about he lives in Norwich. Yeah, yeah. 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 Did, you have, yeah. did you have yeah. Andy Marr, wasn't it? Andy Marr, yes, it yeah, did. He yeah. played with us a few times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had Andy, yeah. Yeah. He's still playing right. drums. What? And he's still playing drums. Is he? Yeah, locally, yeah, with different, various outfits. He actually, he was playing um, a cajon with, uh, I think it was the Sea Shanty Boys. Oh, yeah? Where they go around and do this, like, Sea Shanties and stuff like that. And oh, they're, yeah. really, they're really quite good. Hmm. Well, very good, actually. I see them at um, Helen Steam Rally doing oh, stuff yeah, on yeah, a little yeah. stage. And that was really good. That was really good. So I, does... I told you, we went early in the late mid, late 70s. Yeah, mid seventies. I joined the Settlers. They were looking for a double bass player. They were yeah. awful, and they were sort of <laughs> poor man seekers. All right, oh, okay. Yeah. And um, oh, anyway, <laughs> I, I, they wanted to go back to the original lineup of double bass, yeah, guitars, yeah, girl singer. And I, I said, well, yeah, I know where somebody's got a double bass. I'll see if I can get it off him. And that was Andy Bone. All right, the guy was Quona. So I rung him up. They were living in Carlshot, and I said, have you still got that old double bass? He went, yeah, well, I said, how much do you want for it? He said, 80 quid. I said, all right, I'll have it. So I went over and bought it off him, and mm. 
couldn't play it, but um, <laughs> I just wanted to learn how to do the slap that they used yeah, on the Elvis yeah, records yeah, and things yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. yeah, which I did in the end, but I weren't very good. That's a completely dis- discipline, isn't it? Oh, bass. yeah, that completely. That's, yeah. I do a little bit, and that's yeah, so I did that for a little while, and uh, then when I moved on to my belt, I thought, we're gonna do this double bass, and do you know John Benson? Yes, I do. Yeah, lives just up the road. Yeah, road he used to be job. with um, Kenny Ball. Kenny, Kenny Ball, Ball and Jasmine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I still use his amp that he took all around the world. Ah, uh, right. And then I met this bloke, Mike Hart, who's a bass restorer. Yeah, yeah. He lives in Holton. Yeah. And um, someone put me on. I said, I've got this double bass I need to sell because I'm moving onto a boat and I've got nowhere to put it. I can't play it anyway. So he said... Um, Oh, John Benson's looking for John. I said, no. So we all met up. Yeah. And that was like ages ago. Well, I sold him the double bass. Did you get drunk? Who? Did you get drunk? What was John Benson? Yes. He does drink, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A small start, liberation, he says in he the starts, afternoon. He starts at 12 o'clock. On, yes, that's on, right, yeah. on the dot of. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, yeah. That's John. On the yeah, dot. Such a funny guy. And, uh, brilliant. Yeah, but he got, when they were on tour with... Rod Stewart. Yeah. Oh, no, that was another thing. Rod Stewart, in 1964, John Carter, who was the lead singer in Carter Lewis, yeah, yeah. he came down with something, and we had to get his singer. So our management pulled in Rod Stewart. Wow. Mm-hmm. All right, so we can kind of move it on a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so we come up to the 90s and 2000s, and what was happening then? Well, I had roller coaster for 30 years. 30 years we did camps wow. and gigs and whatever you like that. We all got, we got to the end of that tether, you know, and we said, oh, I've had enough of this. So we sort mm. of stopped. And I didn't want to do, I didn't want to go in a place and just do hour after hour after hour, people dancing and that and you know, throwing it away. So I wanted to do theatres because I like talking to the audience and having a laugh and a joke and things like that. And John Benson said, why don't you do The Seagull? Well, I wanted to record a song in the 70s, in Fever, we'd toured with a bloke called Smokey Rogers, who was okay. a Western swing player. He'd been in bands like the Spade Cooley Band and Bob Wills type things and that. He was a banjo player, but he wasn't a picker. He was a strummer like George Formby. Yeah, yeah. But he was brilliant. And we loved him, loved him to death, Smokey. And, and we toured Cornwall everywhere with him. And we one night we were saying, he said he'd written a few songs. And I said, well, tell us what you've written, Smokey. He said... Well, I wrote Gone, which is actually my favourite Slim Whitman number. You know, do you know it? Yeah, yeah. Since you've gone, and the choir comes in and that. And I'd always wanted to record it, but I'd never had the girl singers to do it. Right. So I was in a cafe in Alton Broad one day, and this girl was in. She said, what do you think about it? I said, I said, I need some girl singers. She said, you need my mother. I said, why? She said, yeah, she's in the Pakefield Singers, and she knows them all. So I went and saw them, got hold of her, and I said, look, I want to do this song. And she said, let me hear it. She said, oh. So we got all the girls. We handpicked all the girls. Yeah, yeah. We went to these various choirs, got all these girls. And this is another high point of my life. Um, we went to this house in Pakefield, big house. She said, come on, bring your guitar. And uh, went down to this house. And I walked in and there's like about 18 women in this room. And I went, there is a God. <laughs> <laughs> and they all sat there with their music. They had, they had all their parts that this woman, had, Jill Hobbs, had written written out. 
And I sat there and I had a bloody old acoustic guitar and I thought, this is either going to be one of the best things I've ever done or the worst. Yeah, yeah. And I always tell this on stage just before we do it. And they all said, come on in, come on, you know, come on. So I went, are you sure? They went, yeah, come on. We've all got their bits, you know, and that. So I gave it the A chord and I went, since you've got... And this wall of voices came in. And it was just wonderful. And it's one of those hairs on the back. Yeah, nice. And I went... To Mrs. Hobson, she went, I went, and at the end of it, I said, that is absolutely fantastic. We record that. So we did, we did go in and record it. And, uh, we did, we, that must have been at Tim's as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then we, well, all, all that stuff was done at Tim's that I did. I did some, I did Mirabeau Bridge at Lee's, Lee Jacobs. Oh, yeah. He's awkward, isn't he? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, so, no, uh, we did a couple of things there. We did Mirabeau Bridge and uh, uh, a Rod McKeown number called two ten six eighteen, and uh, we did that. But the rest of the two, three, four, the albums were all done at Tim's. We piled them all in and did it. And then we said, "Well, we'll make an album." So we made an album, and then we'll do a concert. Did you do the Seagull with us? You did. I no, did. Did, I did, did. Did you do the Marina? I did one in Beckles, you and did I think Marine. I'd done the Marina. You did the Marina, and they all yeah. stood in front of you, didn't they? Uh, they were absolutely wonderful. <laughs> the sound from that vocal choir was... It was just wonderful. Was unbelievable, it was. Ooh, cool. But there's only five of them now, because a lot of them have gone on with another choir, and, and uh, they kind of started to do other things, and I said, well, can't really afford to have 12 girls on stage, so we narrowed it down, and I picked the best five, which I've still got. And they, oh, they can do it all. They they can do it all. And they say, oh, well, if you sing that line and I'll sing that one there, yeah, and then do that. Well, that's yeah, wonderful. We do, uh, we do that Mickey and Sylvia thing, Love is Strange. In fact, I got it on my ringtone. So that is actually my favourite 50s number. <laughs> and me and Eva go out front and, and do it, you know. Mm. Hey, Sylvia, how do you call your lover boy? That's really, really good. <laughs> so when was the last time? Was the last time you did that then, Rod? Oh, my birthday, my big big birthday in November, ah. six months ago. My great big birthday, big so, one was it? Very big was it? Was it? They don't get any, <laughs> they hardly get any bigger than that. We, how, how much time have you got? Time to me tell you a story about Mickey Baker? Go on, let's yeah, go, on, let's go, go on, on for it. Mickey, let's Baker go for was, it. Mickey Baker was a session guitar player in New York. He played on every hit record out of New York from 1950 to 1961 or two. Everything, Etta James, Shake, Rattle and Roll, everything. Got fed up with that and wanted to play jazz, went to France, where he put a jazz trio together, the Mickey Baker trio. Well, I was touring France in 85 with a bloke called Freddie Fingers Lee, who was a Jerry Lee Lewis impersonator. And uh, everywhere we went, it said, next week, the Mickey Baker trio. Or last week was the Mickey. So I said to our agent, I said, that's not... What Mickey Baker is that? That's not Mickey and Sylvia Baker, is it? He said, yeah. I said, love is strange. He said, yeah. I said, I've got to meet him. He's one of my favourite players. I love his strange. It's my favourite 50s song. I want to meet him, have a picture taken with him. But we never did. He was in front of us or behind us. Never, ever got to meet him. Oh, that's a shame. I never, ever did. But I've got some footage out of him. But what a player. And he's just so good. Yeah. And I yeah. just loved, so I never did get to meet him, but they're, they're both gone now, him and her. Right. But that, that love is strange. You, you, what um, doesn't even sound dated if you listen to it. Yeah. And Holly copied his style of playing on a lot of things, and as did loads of other people. 
Mickey yeah. Vega. We should have met him. Wanted wow. to meet him. Wow. Well, Rod, that's, that's uh, we'll call that a, uh, a draw there. That's brilliant. That's yeah, fantastic. fantastic. So interesting. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 really good. And we just like to well, thank you all for thanks for yeah. coming over and no, you and, and yeah. um, telling us your story. Yeah, thanks for the history lesson. Fantastic. Well, I want to know what your big birthday. What number was it? <laughs> <laughs> what was your big? What was your? How old were you then? What, what was your big birthday? Eighty. Num- 80. 80. Oh, wow. You're not recording that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> You're looking good on no. it. Oh, You're looking good on it. Anyway, thanks for yeah. coming. Yeah, yeah thanks, no, Rob. Had that, done that. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, John, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. So informative about so many things. Yeah, that was really good. And and uh, I mean, what a great storyteller. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and you know, to hear those uh, musical uh, stories from way back. Yeah. You know, basically from the from the fifties. I mean, and and then up to where Rod is today. I, I thought that was really good. And I think that'll be a, what a great listen for yeah. our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So enjoyed it. Yeah, really good. So, well, there buddy, we that's um. That's another podcast done. Absolutely. We're, you know, we're getting through them. We're nearly, nearly up to our final of our first series. Right, yeah, yeah. We've got yeah. a few more guests just to squeeze in before you slip away on your uh, another tour. Another tour, yes. Yeah, yeah another so, one. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> many thanks to Mark, our producer. And, yeah, uh, love a great job. Yeah, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.